Welcome to the Tag Republic podcast, a weekly chat with Carolina Guzik about all things marketing. Some episodes are short tips that you can implement in your business right away, while others are in-depth conversations with industry leaders. Whether you're a new photographer searching for some knowledge or an established professional with years of experience, Carolina offers fresh and innovative advice that can help you transform your photography business. Friend, before we start this episode, let me remind you of how important is the safety of your images and data. Have you thought what would happen if your hard drives and computer get corrupted and you lose all of your work? Well, this happened to me. A couple of years back, in the middle of wedding season, both my external hard drives and my computer died on me, and I lost all of my work. Every single image I have taken disappeared. But I didn't stress about it because I have the peace of mind Backblaze gives to its users. Backblaze is the easiest unlimited cloud backup system. For only $6 per month, you can trust that your images and data are backup securely and you can restore them anytime via email or by purchasing a restore hard drive that they will overnight via FedEx. Backblaze has restored over 50 billion files for its customers and they can do the same for you. You can get a free 15-day trial at backblaze.com forward slash talkrepublic once again, get a 15 free day trial at backblaze.com forward slash TOG Republic. Now, enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Talk Republic. I'm Carolina Gusik, your host, and today we have a very anticipated guest. I know a lot of people <laughs> have been wanting to you know, hear from you. So, Sam Hurt, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, am excited to sit down. I've got my big, big thing of uh, espresso. I don't do just one little espresso at a time. I do like four. So there's four shots Holy of espresso. Holy moly, that's like a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. I, if I'm not shaking, uh, then I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't successfully had enough <laughs> coffee. So, um, <laughs> have excited. you, have you been to Miami before? Yes. Oh yeah. Have um, you had a Cuban coffee? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. so it, yeah. that looks like a, like a big colada, what you're having. Colada. <laughs> yeah, I, I've uh, shot at least one, maybe two weddings over the years in Miami. And then I think I've taught maybe four workshops, um, you know, like in-person, small group stuff at a, a cool little photography studio uh, somewhere just outside of the downtown area. But I love, nice. love Miami. Yeah, it's always That's been great. That gigantic cup of espresso that you're having just remind me of that Cuban coffee that you just, you're supposed to get just a shot of like the, the cup that you have, not like the actual whole <laughs> container, but it seems like, you know, you're, you're good with all that caffeine. So good for you. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. I definitely get the headaches and everything if I don't have it. So I, I do go through phases of not having quite as much, but it's been, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think this year I, I've needed sort of the jolt to not just sit on the couch and get lazy because I'm not working quite as much as I'm supposed to be <laughs> uh, like everybody this year. But yeah, yeah. I think I'm the only Colombian that doesn't drink coffee. Oh, you don't drink it at all? I don't drink coffee at all. I think I haven't had coffee since probably 10 years. Oh my like gosh. Zero, so like none, not at all. Yeah. It took a long time. I was really late. I was not interested at all in coffee. I thought it, you know, tasted horrible. And I don't think I started drinking it until maybe I was 28 or something. I'm 35 now. So there's no turning back anymore, but uh, I didn't, yeah, I held off as long as I could. <laughs> awesome. Well, glad, glad to hear that you are awake and ready for this episode yes, then, that you have energized. <laughs> so, I mean, we had a very short introduction, but for people that perhaps don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of photography you do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I am based in the Baltimore, Washington, DC area. They're only like 30 minutes apart from each other. So uh, most of my weddings are somewhere in this region, including Virginia. And uh, that's actually where I grew up in kind of central Virginia. Uh, I've been doing professional wedding photography for about 10 years now. I've been shooting professionally for 12. And I got my start before the whole wedding thing, um, I, my start was uh, shooting kind of press conferences and stuff like that mm -hmm. in downtown DC. And uh, that's what I did. I, I studied computer science and information science in college, but you know, pivoted, found a job doing photography right out of school and kind of stuck with it ever since. And um, 
I think I surpassed at some point this year, my 400th wedding, uh, just working for myself. So it's, I'm a business of, of one and it, yeah, it's working, working out so far. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. It's super cool. So, I mean, you've been doing this for 12 years. I, I didn't plan this question, but like, do you mm -hmm. see yourself like growing older doing weddings or you think that at some point you will pivot? Yeah, uh, I think so. I, you know, it's an interesting question. I do observe, uh, I used to worry like, oh, by the time I'm 40, like nobody's going to want to hire, you know, an old, old dude to like come to their wedding and shoot it. But honestly, it's, it's interesting to observe, uh, oftentimes videographers that I work with, um, you know, I don't, operate or sell videographers with my own business. So clients go out and find their own uh, people to hire for that. And oftentimes they're, you know, uh, man or woman well into their fifties or even, I don't know, pretty old, <laughs> uh, you know, definitely. I'm saying that fifties is old here. No, but, <laughs> but relative to me, I mean, they're, they're you know, 20 years older than me probably. And yeah, they're, they're, keeping up and they're doing great. So I don't know stylistically where they're at. That would be my biggest concern. I think is that I lose touch with what, people really um, resonate with stylistically mm. and nobody's just interested in hiring me because I'm like an older style. But, you know, as long as yeah, it's, it's great um, motivation and incentive to stay healthy. I think I've done a, a much better job than most of my friends <laughs> that are my age now uh, at staying fit. And, you know, I try and run every day or every couple of days, four or five miles. And, you know, just, I think that's where a lot of photographers, honestly, I, I think that's my main concern. Normal. Like, mm -hmm. much like I feel completely beat up after a wedding. I'm like, this is not normal. <laughs> and I'm worried about that. Uh, given this year, everybody, you know, they're basically missing an entire season of work. And if you haven't kept up with your diet and exercise through this year, once next year hits, uh, it's going to be a pretty rude awakening. <laughs> I'm really concerned because I like I'm very active, and since like this whole thing started, like I got really, really lazy and. And my back was like, you know what? We're quitting on you. So like I have yeah. had like a whole back issue for like three months. Oh, and no. it's completely due to like really lack of exercise. But you know, it's like a snowball. Like, oh, it hurts. So I'm not going to do any exercise yes. because it hurts. So like that's like actually making it worse. So yes, next year is going to be a lot of Advil, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Advil. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I, one of the um, things I didn't start until a couple of years ago, I got this tip from my uh, my partner, Nessa. She's also a wedding photographer with her own business. Uh, fantastic idea. I can't believe I never thought of or came across this before just uh, recently. I changed my shoes before the reception. So oh. totally different brand, different pair. Uh, and oftentimes they don't even have much support uh, like they do like my earlier tennis shoes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I wear all black tennis shoes most of the through the ceremony basically and then i change into whatever i want another pair of tennis shoes or or flats or whatever and uh, that's just for it it the different pressure points on my feet or whatever it's just it's like putting on a fresh pair of socks even though i don't do that <laughs> uh and it, and it those pressure points seem to really alleviate a lot of my my you know back pain or my leg pain or whatever shout uh, out to nessa for that tip i'm gonna you know maybe oh follow my gosh, up on this is, i will not ever go to a wedding without a backup pair of shoes ever again. And, um, you know, I actually wear fancier shoes through the reception or through the ceremony. And then by the reception, it's literally just black tennis shoes because nobody's really paying know, attention paying, to your yeah, feet. It's darker normally or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, that, that helps big time. I love little things like that. <laughs> Shout out to all the older photographers that have back pain. <laughs> Yeah, I also use a one of those rolling um, foam rollers to roll out my back. Uh, I try to; it's so tedious and it hurts, but uh, I try to be diligent about that in the mornings, especially before a wedding. So that really helps. Awesome. Well, thank you for all those wellness tips. Uh, I'll make sure to add them to the notes yeah. with like some link to like these products. <laughs> I'm I am not a picture of perfect health, by the way. I, this is just what I do, and who knows? I might be making things worse somehow. I, but for me, it, no, it, it really has uh, those two things make a big, big difference. Uh, yeah, and and in general, you know, I've always uh, just because uh, I think it helps maintain uh, a creative energy. Uh, I don't bring much equipment with me, like carrying around on my shoulders. I have one shoulder 
uh, bag, a sling bag with like two lenses and then one camera body. Uh, maybe during the ceremony, I'll shoot with two camera bodies, like one on my shoulder and one on mm-hmm. my hands, just so I can go wide and, and telephoto really quickly. But for the vast majority of the day, it's one camera body as lightweight as I can possibly uh, get away with, just again, for that uh, back pain. That- <laughs> and- yeah, go ahead. No, that's great to hear this from you because I think that I started 10 years ago and 10 years ago, you know, we were shooting with one body and of course, you know, have different lenses and all that. And then kind of like five years ago, it was like the, ah, oh, the moneymaker, two bodies on me or yes. three bodies or four bodies. Like how many cameras could I have on me? So like, I don't have to switch lenses, but at the same time, it's like now I'm carrying all this extra weight that is really physically slowing me down. Absolutely. Yes. And you'd be shocked. I mean, it didn't really blink in my head until maybe my third year shooting. Like, okay, the more lenses I start bringing with me and like the more my collection grows, uh, the more... um, a, uh, tired I get from just wheeling around all this heavy stuff. So that, uh, de- demotivates me, you know, half the battle of getting a creative shot is, you know, getting in an uncomfortable position, laying on the ground or, you know, t- getting really high up, like all these extreme angles take a little bit out of you. And if your back's hurting, you're not going to want to <laughs> get that extreme angle. We sound like such old people right now, but, um, but, uh, the other thing was just the distraction of having all those options. Like, at least for me, I, I have ADD and I tend to be easily distracted. And if I've got limitless options, because I've got the entire zoom range of 14 millimeter to 200 millimeter, and I've got all all the primes in between there, uh, I tend to just be kind of, mm, I have decision paralysis, right? Mm -hmm. I I don't even know what to start with. But if I've only got in my hands a 50 millimeter and one camera, and then maybe an extra lens in my sling bag, uh, I'm going to commit to that generally uh, as a starting point for like when I'm there with a couple and if my bag is, you know, in some corner across the room, um, it's going to have to take a lot for me to like make them wait and go grab a lens for some shot. Like I'm really uh, trying to, to work with whatever I have. And I just find that that spurs a lot of um, creativity um, and just kind of hones my, my vision so that I'm not quite so overwhelmed. Oh, hopefully that makes sense. But. Definitely makes sense. And obviously today we're going to talk about like how you get those like epic photos, those creative photos. And I think this is like a great start because that could be a misconception, right? People might think like, well, you know, to get those super cool photos, you need to have all these different cameras. And, and, you know, again, the camera doesn't make the photo, but you know that sometimes even in the photography industry is the misconception. We see a super cool photo and the first question is like, which lens did you use, right? Yeah. <laughs> so well, like- it's, it's a part of the equation, right? But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a tool. And yeah, it, you know... I, I often, I have so much gear because I love being inspired by new gear, but mm-hmm. what I, you know, what I actually day in and day out use in the vast majority of my work is like the, the 50 millimeter, the 24 millimeter. And that's like it. <laughs> uh, occasionally I bring like a bonus lens for something, you know, interesting or whatever, but it's absolutely not needed for the vast majority of photos you would see from, from me. And I like that you mentioned that having just one, you know, one lens at a time kind of like force you to make a decision and to make it work. Yep. Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. I mean, as long as you have, um, uh, I would say the more important skill of, of manipulating or reading light in a room, uh, you know, the lenses are really just that, that final 20% of the entire you know, equation, the, uh, the manipulation of light and, and, you know, flatteringly lighting people, interesting flare or whatever you want to get from it. Uh, that is a far better skill to try and hone. And actually you're doing yourself, if you're early in your career, you're doing yourself a favor, I think, by not trying to accumulate new gear as fast as possible, because you're going to be more reliant on your practical skills of like how you interact in the physical space and the connection you have with your couple, all of these like human skills. Mm-hmm. Um, before you start taking too too much um, uh, you know, technical consideration in, in the equipment that you're using. So as much as you can hold off on the temptation of acquiring new gear and all that, I would say, um, you know, the better. And yeah, hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> definitely makes sense. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, definitely there's an aspect of photography that is technical that we all can learn, right? I think that yeah. those are things that if you don't know how to use light, you can learn that technically easy but 
the part that I think it takes a little bit more work is those human skills as you are talking about and like learning how to maybe post people flattering. It's a little bit, for me, for example, took me a little bit longer than learning kind of like the technical aspects of photography. How could we get there? How could we get better at, you know, those human? That's a great, great question. And it's so um, easy to forget about it uh, with, you know, social media and blogs and all the, when you just see the end result of the photos, you completely leave out uh, the those practical skills of like how you got there, what the setup was like, what your attitude was like to get your couples comfortable and intimate or whatever uh, ended up becoming the shot. And uh, I think, you know, well, a big part of it is just practice, a ton of practice. And, you know, we, it's a totally different uh, conversation, which I'm happy to have if you want um, to, to <laughs> acquiring, well, I was going to say uh, acquiring new clients, you know, a lot of people are like, I would love to practice, but I don't have any clients, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's a problem for sure. Uh, it gets easier as time goes on, but, you know, uh, shooting anyone who's willing and able to, to let you, uh, friends, family, um, you know, you really need time with the camera in your hand and you need the entire experience and and workflow of using the camera to be complete muscle memory. So when you have another human in front of you looking at you, like, what do I do with my hands? You can, you know, empathize and connect with them and not be thinking like, oh, how do I change the aperture? Wait, wait, auto ISO is on. How do I turn that off again? Like, you don't want to at all be stuck in that zone. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it is just practice. So any opportunity you can come across like take advantage of it it's just a gold mine especially in your early years uh, and then hopefully that translates to an actual business someday with paying clients my first wedding i did get paid for but it was a co-worker my second third maybe fourth wedding were all kind of friends that's mm-hmm. my, my work i think i got 500 dollars from my very first wedding and the next one i charged 600 the next one 750 something like that and you know i just as my experience level uh got better and I understood more of the energy and the template of a wedding day. Um, and my comfort level with working with people uh, got better. I charged more. And, you know, eventually, hopefully, if you're outputting decent work for the for the price, you can kind of cycle up from there. But um, anyway, I, at the end of the day, I before I had access to, like, regular access to clients every weekend or whatever, um, I would literally take a stick, put a bicycle helmet on it, go in my backyard and photograph that as if it were a person. And okay. yeah, uh, seriously, I would uh, put up, put up a, a t- um, not a TV show, but well, a TV show is fine. A movie on, on my mm-hmm. television screen. And I would photograph the screen of my, uh, of what I was watching to try and get timing for mouth shape and like non-blinking photos. I would literally photograph a movie. That <laughs> um, is so Cool. Yeah. Uh, just whatever you can do to try and that, that plays into, again, uh, developing muscle memory in the camera that you're using, timing, of course, and just, yeah, having that camera glued to your hand is so critical. And so many photographers don't shoot or, or practice every day. And at least for the first three years, that's so critical. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I've had, I have the opportunity to, to interview great people for the podcast. And one of the things that, you know, that photographers are doing great, great photography have in common is what I call a lot of patience, oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. being able to sit down for a couple of seconds and wait for that tiny, tiny second that is going to make a great photo or the difference between a good photo and a great photo. Mm-hmm. So, like, I spoke with Ferdinandisti about this because oh, I think yeah. he's I really that. great about this. And I had an interview last week with Victor Lax about also just like sitting in a moment without rushing it. And I think I even said when I was having this conversation with Victor, I said like that's kind of like my 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 pain point because I like to be fast, fast, fast. Let's move on. Let's change the energy. Like my energy is always really high, and I think that learning to hold on for a second because that could make the difference between a good photo and a great photo just like that little second in between oh yeah patience is so key the other thing that uh sort of plays into that but it's a slightly different 
thing you, at least I'm constantly aware of is being okay with, with letting an idea go. Uh, I try not to, like, you really have to play into the balance of waiting and then also knowing when it's not going to happen and you're missing another opportunity that uh, is somewhere on the other side of the room or whatever. Um, my, you know, I love being a wedding photographer because I, I really feel uh, deeply that it's a service industry. I'm there to mm -hmm. serve my clients. I am working for them. Hopefully we align stylistically in a way that they want me to do what I want as a photographer. But at the same time, you know, a lot of clients, this is maybe their fifth wedding they've ever attended in their life and certainly generally their first wedding for themselves so they don't know what they want until they're in that moment and correct know, I might be sitting there waiting for this perfect idea but if so, you know the bride comes over to me oh can you take a picture of me and my you know college friends like yes boom abandon ship I go do that I, I prioritize their needs and and what they you know want for me in the day and then maybe we can come back to that other idea or whatever but uh, yeah, I really have learned that it's okay to uh, let things kind of just flow through you. If the shot doesn't happen, like that's okay. Move on to the next thing and, and yeah, exercise uh, grace and patience as much as, <laughs> yeah, and never be selfish about it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, occasionally I'm selfish if I think it's like a really great idea, but uh, rarely do I, do I force it to happen. Um, I love that you, yeah, I love that you mentioned on this because I think... Um, Sometimes as wedding photographers, we can be a little bit egocentric, right? Mm -hmm. And it could be like, well, this is my style. You know, I'm going to do what I do best. And as you said, at the end of the day, this is a service industry, right? You're there mm -hmm. to serve them as clients. And as you said, you could have this great idea that perhaps is not happening. And then they want like a candid photo with like their friends. Yeah, yeah, go and do that. That's do what it. you're getting paid for. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, hopefully you are getting clients that still want you to do that you know, crazy, awesome photo that does well on social media or whatever. But the vast majority of what you're going to end up delivering is stuff that will never see the, the light of day in a public way. You know, it's, I think, I have to believe that the most uh, valuable long-term, you know, photos are contributing to like the legacy of people's families, just this, the clean group shots of people standing side by side and smiling. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that's going to go viral, right? It's, it's, it's going to be deeply meaningful for them and their kids and their, you know, grandchildren, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, a really cool silhouette against a beautiful skyline with flair that has its place too. That's really neat in, in more of the short term, I think, but you want to strike that balance of also doing everything else that's going to uh, hold up over time. So. This is so good that you're mentioning this because I have seen in a lot of Facebook groups this conversation, which is like, I don't shoot family formals. <laughs> They're not creative oh, no. enough. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Or I have come yeah. across, you know, couples and they're like, they were concerned because like their friends didn't get those photos. And I'm like, no, you absolutely are going to get those pictures, you know? And I think it's important again, as you know, it's, yes, we are creatives, but also we can let that kind of like ego take over a client because that's going to make, give a disservice to you in the long run. Like that's not also how to handle business in my opinion. Totally. Yeah, and family photos uh, specifically, I've learned to to love. Uh, I used to sort of not not that I'd never not do them, but I would kind of dread that part of the day just because I'm not a very alpha type of person. I tend to be pretty introverted. I don't like telling people what to do. But over time, I got you know better at that part of the the skill. But what I realized was you know a lot of people, uh, clients and their families have this idea that oh, okay, we got to take 45 minutes of family photos. It's going to take forever. Like they're not always excited about it either. Um, and if you can uh, keep that process moving efficiently and and keep the positive energy, they mirror that and you kind of earn so much goodwill from everybody in the family if that experience goes well that when it does uh, come time to steal the couple away for creative portraits or whatever they're they're all for it they are excited to to be with you and work with you if it's a miserable experience or maybe i've literally heard of photographers hiring second shooters to cover the family photos for them and stuff like that you know if you have a second photographer who's gone through that process like now they're connected with not you <laughs> like mm. you really need to just put your head down and do do the work and uh and see it as an opportunity not not a problem or uh, uh an un, uninspired part of the day it all feeds into it you know itself so definitely and i think it's important to point out 
maybe for photographers that are new to wedding photography that as you were mentioning like those epic shots are probably just 10 percent of the full gallery oh my gosh yeah we need to yeah where we're photographing it's a day experience and as you said it's going to be the time to create those epic photos is going to be very small you're going to be there for eight nine hours there's not going to be eight nine hours of just epicness it's going to be (laughs) casual random mundane things that are happening well that's where i think the the big appeal with um elopements uh really comes from and i i personally feel that elopements and wedding photography is are, are sort of two different worlds completely uh yes they both involve a couple uh, saying their vows and and you know becoming married but you know a full sort of traditional template of a wedding day eight hours it's you're right i mean the the portraits like the creative shots or whatever maybe are 10 percent of the gallery they're they're maybe like five percent of the day it's such a small window of time where you know at least for me i'm really working on that stuff versus you know if a couple is eloping and it's just you and them and Mm. it's you know four hours on a hike or something like that it's a totally different experience and you know that's a good thing to come to terms with if you really only prefer that type of work i think elopement uh coverage is is probably a better fit than everything else that goes into a wedding day with um toasts and dancing and all that kind of stuff that you don't really see at elopements so not to pivot too much (laughs) no definitely all great content here so you have on your website you know you said and I, I think I'm actually quoting this forgive me if I'm paraphrasing but you said that the trust between you and your clients is what helps you find the perfect balance between creative experimentation and honest documentation mm-hmm. so how do you get your clients to trust the process well, it, that answer has changed, and I, I would have answered it differently in the beginning of my career versus the middle versus now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll start at least, uh, and if I do a good enough job, I'll leave it there. I'll, I'll answer <laughs> now, where you know a lot of it is um, right out of the gate when they inquire with me. I send full pricing sheets and then three full galleries for them to okay. read. Uh, anything publicly on my website, blog, or Instagram or whatever, uh, I very heavily emphasize creative portraits with a couple, and I re- rarely show anything else on the day that's just the hook to get people to you know like remember me and want to reach out and and be excited about um you know that small part of the day but being very forward with three full galleries for people to look through and hopefully if they're excited and seriously considering you they'll take the time to to look through all three of them Um, that earns a lot of trust right out of the door because i'm not shy about holding back any any part of the day and uh you know they see the beginning to end coverage of everything so yeah uh, i would say the vast majority of my clients now having three fantastic galleries to send you know a long uh year's worth of social media photos and blog posts and all that generally they just you know i show up on the day off and i might ask them like do you want photos of your shoes rings blah blah, blah. and they're like just you do you you do whatever you want and i'm like that's the best thing <laughs> but you know it didn't start that way it took it took a while i used to meet um in my first few years now uh, i don't do this anymore but i used to uh, especially now because of the pandemic, I wouldn't do it. But even before that, I would meet clients in person. I would insist, like, let me mm-hmm. take you out to coffee. I'd really go above and beyond when I didn't have, you know, uh, three full galleries to send them or years worth of social media to point to as examples of my work. You know, I would try and lean into connecting with them as a person and my personality. And uh, they would invest a little of their time, you know, spending two hours with me over coffee or a meal. Um, so that is something you probably need to spend more time doing in your early years. And then you kind of just, yeah, transition to, to other other things as time goes on. But um, the other thing is I was tempted and tried for a little while and toward the middle of my career to um, kind of outsource certain aspects of my business mm-hmm. with email and things like that. And uh, I found that that actually took away a lot of the trust and goodwill that I was able to build with clients by being the actual person to reply to them <laughs> and they would know it uh, was, you know, everything was in my voice and it was a consistent experience. Uh, I I've, I've realized like I, there are certain things you you can, but probably shouldn't outsource if building trust and a relationship with your clients is a priority for you. So, yeah, uh, but there are ways to do it. I mean, there's, there's all different ways that people run their businesses and people certainly run more successful businesses than my own. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is just what's worked for me. So, 
I think that one of the, for me, for my business, one of the best ways that I have built trust is consistency, Mm -hmm. both on my work, on my social media presence, on the way that I reply to clients. I think that those little tiny bits of just like replying promptly and things like that, they seem so minimal, but like in the big picture, they're really important. So for me, they stack like crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They all build into each other. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you something that I didn't plan to ask you, but since you mentioned, so if today somebody sends you an inquiry, do you, do you get on the phone with them or you just immediately send an email with all the information right away? Oh, just an email. Yeah. And I offer at the end, excuse me, at the end of that, um, happy to set up a phone call or you know, FaceTime or something like that. Uh, I do not, I don't think I've ever just like straight up called them back uh, without, because, you know, I want them to take a second to go through my pricing and make sure all of those expectations are aligned. I don't want to, and I'm a horrible salesperson. I, I really, there's, <laughs> my client meetings, I do hit certain uh, points that I like to bring up at every client meeting, but there is no structure or, or sales approach to it whatsoever. Uh, and so, yeah, me just getting on the phone with somebody really uh, it needs to be uh, a setup meeting or whatever. And I usually talk to clients for 40, 40 minutes. What's that? No, I say this, this question has been like, I'm, recently kind of obsessed asking photographers this question because everybody obviously has a different answer and what this really proves to me is like there is a thousand ways to do business like right because a lot of people is like no once you because i mean i don't know what your price point is but i can assume that is in the higher end of you know maybe collections i mean i don't think you're charging two thousand dollars per wedding no no but i don't think that's yeah generally people spend about five thousand yeah so five thousand so like you're in the you know higher you know, pricing of photos. And you hear also this a lot on like Facebook groups, which I love, but at the same time, I hate because there is also so much information that is not truth. Uh, yeah, that is like, I had to hit the you, Yeah, I ejected out of almost every Facebook group. I, I love uh, photography communities and I owe much of what I am today to a small group through um, Flickr, actually. There's a group called SWPB. Uh, that was a fantastic group of people. But uh, for whatever reason, Facebook groups tend, I don't know if it's how they do commenting, how they do notifications, whatever it is, it tends to boil down to uh, non-helpful stuff. Yeah, so, so like so like the answer that you get is like, oh, you do need to get on the phone. And I feel like that puts a lot of pressure in people that one, they might introverts or two, they feel like, yeah. well, I'm not really a good salesperson. So like, I'm actually going to shoot myself in the knee by doing that. Yeah. So it's great to hear that you as a successful photographer, you have a a very straightforward approach, which is like, well, here is an email with all the information. And if you'd like, but you see, we can, you know, talk about it. Talk from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I see no reason to, uh, you know, force people on the phone. I mean, it is good to, to go through it. I probably had well over a thousand client meetings at this point. And, you know, it gets, it took years for it to get easy where I was comfortable and never had butterflies or nerves about it. Uh, so, you know, as much as you're able to practice and have client meetings do that, but you also don't want to come across as too overeager. You know, if you, if you come back with a wall of text and uh, let's talk this afternoon, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, people are like, well, okay. He doesn't seem too busy. <laughs> um, you know, you want to be excited, but not, not over. Uh, eager. I like, I like that. Like, yeah. Like, give give like a little bit you know like not too much not too little you know find that sweet spot that works for you hey this is a quick episode intermission to let you know that my pinterest class the art of pinning will be available in early december if you're interested in learning how to use pinterest to drive qualified traffic into your website this class is for you If you want to be the first one to know about the release date for this class, plus get a freebie that will teach you how to get your Pinterest account ready for success, go to thetalkrepublic.com forward slash join. Now, let's get back to the episode. Awesome. So, um, well, as I said, your images, I think that they're super, you know, well thought and conceptual. And I've seen your videos on Patreon and I've seen the little clips also that you put on your social media of like how you turn the most random and uninspired place into something completely gorgeous and something that also like doesn't tell me what the location is right mm-hmm. How, uh, yeah find the time during a wedding to to you know see things like that is uh, my question even clear like it is i totally got you yeah 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 so i'd say actually rarely do i have a well thought out 
plan. <laughs> Sometimes, okay. but very rarely. I would say more often uh, for a night photo. Mm-hmm. When if I if I'm taking the couple out, you know, after dark, I will have had uh, a thought through spot and idea for the lighting and all that figured out. But that's rare. I mean, the vast majority of photos that I post are in the daytime. Uh, you know, any variety of light. It might be sunset. It might be noon. It's it's whatever. And what I've learned is to just I I honestly just try a ton of stuff. And I have a, you know, for every photo you see on Instagram, there was probably five totally failed ideas that uh, maybe I started from and iterated to that end mm-hmm. result. So like I just go through a ton of iteration and am willing to, uh, yeah, just, just make a lot of crap <laughs> and, and then know, know when I've got it, when, know when I've actually achieved something quality and good and then move on to the next thing and start over. Um, yeah, I, I, it takes a lot of, of kind of failed ideas really. But what at the end of the day, what I learned is that every, every spot has potential, every single place you could possibly shoot. Some, some are going to take more time than others. Some are more difficult to find that exact angle or light position, but every single spot around you has potential without a doubt. And so once you realize that and embrace that idea, um, you tend to be more comfortable shooting in the non-obvious areas of a venue. And that's what I really like is that, you know, venues or places that I've shot before or where clients have seen a lot of photos, when I take them to the parking lot instead of like the mountain view or whatever, they're like, uh, okay. You know, we'll still maybe do one where oftentimes client book they book venues because they like the backdrop Mm -hmm. so we'll take a few with a fancy backdrop but i really hit my stride where it's like uh you know a dark room in a in a crappy hallway uh you know it's because you get that one angle where it removes a lot of context and it masks the fact that it's like a messy bedroom or whatever and um not only is that more impressive to the clients but just by default just by being in a different physical space um and being willing to work there versus another photographer or every other photographer that's ever been at that venue your work starts to look different just by default like yeah 100% because yeah you're shooting where nobody else uh has thought to or been willing to try. Uh, but again, it comes with, uh, again, keeping that ego down, uh, it comes with a lot of shitty f- photos. Uh, I mean, I, first person to to admit, I take a ton of bad ideas, but I know when to rein it in and, and not push myself so hard and just get stuff that's clean. And, you know, you have to deliver for your clients something in line with the consistency and, and uh, you know, professionalism that they would expect. But uh, yeah, just go out and try stuff too. And, and uh, I'm, ass- mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm assuming this goes back to like the beginning of this conversation where we're talking about like, one be physically and mentally ready you know to tackle a wedding day right like just healthy i mean you should be healthy obviously and all that you should approach a wedding with like a clear headspace so like don't bring any baggage or any and i know that's yes, difficult because yeah. we're human so we have like 10 100 <laughs> yes. different thoughts at the same time but like um having that like clear headspace for the clients i think it's it's major because it's going to help you make decisions on the moment that could mm-hmm. be you know so much beneficial for the client and also as you said practice like I'm sure the first time that you tried this was just like well I don't know if this is gonna work and as you you know you did more you got better and now probably for you to find beauty in a space that is quite probably not that picturesque could be easier for you than for example I don't know maybe for me Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And just again with practice over time, and you learn so so much the more the more you do things, and you have to be open to, you know, even if you are like an expert with your camera and you've been doing this for a long time, uh, you have to be willing to just be hyper aware of of subtle new things that maybe you hadn't noticed before. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been a while, but I really (laughs) do uh, need to myself like start going out and putting a helmet on a stick again and just like photographing it. (laughs) I just got a brand new camera that, uh, you know, I'm still kind of learning how much, it's a totally different workflow uh, than my Canon cameras. And so I need to practice a ton. I don't want to just, I mean, I will bring it to my wedding this weekend, but I don't want to have it be my primary camera before I've really put it through its paces, just shooting my own yard. So <laughs> Good. I'm going to go out and do that today, probably. <laughs> I think that, I mean, it's also sad, like, we'll have friends, call a, you know, a couple that you're friends with and take them to a random place and see what kind of 
beauty you can create there. I mean, you have nothing to lose because they're not paying clients. So, you know, just 100%. go out for, for yeah. a fun, fun time. Totally. And if it came to it, uh, you know, it's kind of flattering if, if you're a complete stranger. I would never have the, the balls to do this, but, <laughs> you know, you can just walk around and ask somebody if you can take their photo. If, you, you know, I think if somebody asked that to me, I'd be like, okay, sure. <laughs> I think I'm goofy looking, but yeah, uh, that's flattering uh, to, to have as a request to just any person. It's like, can I take your photo? Yeah. Uh, don't say like, I think you look really interesting or something, <laughs> but just, just ask to take their picture. <laughs> I think that's, that's an okay thing to do. Uh, I have to the admit worst that thing they'll say is like, no. That, yeah. that, that makes me nervous. Like approaching a stranger yeah. like, I, I wish I had, and even though I'm extremely extrovert and, but I think that that makes me nervous because I myself don't like my picture taken. So like if somebody were to like ask me, I would be like, uh, no, what? get away yeah. from me. <laughs> and <laughs> then you should, be, you should be expected those replies to and don't feel intimidated because, you know, that's just what it is. Yeah, yeah. Some people are going to say yes, some people are going to say no. Yeah, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just how badly do you want to be a photographer and how badly, you know, if you just have zero access to people, like you got to want it and you got to go out and, and grab it at, at some point uh, and just and push yourself to do it. Um, yeah, anyway, so it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's, it, it's something that never ends. I don't, I don't think how great you get at photography, you should always be doing things for your own sake, mm -hmm. for your own experimentation, for your own happiness. You know, you should always have your camera with you and, and go after something that you don't even, it's going to be probably a bunch of crap at the end of the day, as you said, but like, well, if it's a bunch of crap, great. At least you did it, but you might find something really, really great out of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I love, there was a director, I forgot his name, but he said um, when he's filming a movie, uh, he's, he's shopping for ingredients, you know, like you would at a grocery store. And in editing, when it's actually being cut, together and editing that's when he's uh cooking in the kitchen that's his that's when he's making what is going to be the meal and i love that because you know you can pick up ingredients that you may use a little bit of may not use it at all um and so yeah you, you kind of start with this giant collection if it's a, a wedding i generally shoot about four or five thousand images at an eight-hour wedding uh you know that's a lot that's a lot of ingredients and, <laughs> and i love the second half of the experience which is calling it down and, and you start yeah cooking together the final gallery uh, of um images to i normally deliver about 800 photos so does it happen to you then while you are calling you know those 5,000 images, you're like, oh, wow. I don't even remember taking this photo. It looks 100%. great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I often, I put some space between looking at the photos, you know, a couple days at least, sometimes weeks. And uh, it gives me a fresher perspective. And I have forgotten about certain ideas that I tried. And it's funny because I'll see it. I'll see it and be like, oh, yeah, this is great. And distinctly remember feeling like I did not do well that shoot. This was, I just did not do as good as I, I know I could have, but I really did. <laughs> it's just, you need some of that separation sometimes because, uh, you know, you're so generally photographers are very self critical mm -hmm. uh, in their own work and uh, having a fresh eye is, is important. <laughs> it's good. I do, I do love taking a little bit of a space because, as you said, like, and I don't know if it's, as you, I mean, now that you that I hear you say that it happens to you also, it makes me feel better because sometimes I go mm. to a shoot and I come back and I'm like, well, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, then, I'm a fraud. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I've been in this for 10 years. This yeah. is not how it should be going. But then, you know, you leave a little bit of a space and then you take a look at the photos with like a new, like a new headspace per se. And you're like, yeah. oh, I was being a little bit hard on myself. Like, this is not, this is actually great. Or, you know, like. Whatever well, honestly, and, and social media worries me in general because uh, day in and day out, anytime you're on Instagram or Facebook, you're seeing that final curated, yeah. beautiful end result. And you, it's so easy to forget that everybody else generally has that 5,000 image collection that they also are wading through. And of course, like, yeah, the, the, even those 5,000 images, some photographers are going to have a better starting point than others <laughs> when it comes to edit, uh, editing time. But uh, yeah, you have to kind of make sure you are always mindful that what you are experiencing on the internet is that final highly curated end result. And um, yeah, don't lose sight of that. I'm, I'm kind of glad that when I started 10 years ago, we didn't have, I mean, I, I think know. we had Facebook. I don't even remember that, but now we sound really, really old. My back ache, internet wasn't invented. <laughs> No, I mean, we were still, so 10 years ago would have been almost 100% blogging. Blogging, yeah, that's what it was. And 
And even then, um, but but I, I felt the pressure wasn't as great as it is today. So yeah. I, I feel sometimes for new photographers because they they think that, and and, and I so I've been in business for so many years, and sometimes I think like, wow, it's all great for other photographers, and like I forget that they're just humans, like I am, and everybody has great days and bad days, and everybody has struggles, and everybody has you know creative blockage that so they're just like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and it's just part of. I don't know, having a human experience, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly. Experience. Yeah, that's what keeps it exciting. You know, the day you go out and you shoot every single photo perfectly, you know, exactly the way you want it, I feel like that that's sort of uh, signaling the end for me. If I, if, I, if I know exactly what I'm doing and it's repeatable every single time, it's like, that's not art. <laughs> that's not uh, exciting or fun or interesting for me. I want that um, continual feeling of, I need to grow, I need to get better and never, never um, lose sight of that. But it's a tricky thing, uh, you know, especially, well, actually, you know, I would say this year, I, I sort of see uh, most things in life, I, I tend to be optimistic. And I try and, and trying to take this year as a bit of a reset for me, you know, at, at this point, normally, under normal circumstances, I'd be feeling pretty burnt out, and I would be getting a little bit, um, uh, re- relaxed in, in my pushing myself, you know, cause what is it in the middle of October? Yeah. I would normally have like 20,000, 30,000 images sitting in my queue that I have to work through. And, you know, it would be, uh, stressful, but not having that season is sort of a nice reset. You know, I'm still shooting, like I said, regularly, but I'm trying to take this as a, a refreshing, uh, mind clearing year so that next year, hopefully, uh, you know, I can just, bounce back back. yeah like crazy yeah awesome so i mean i'm sure people want to um well yeah learn from you i think that you're very generous in what you share on social media but you also have a patreon account tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about what you share there what's what's the whole thing about patreon yeah uh so i was very i would say lucky to have sort of come across patreon back in 2016 Mm -hmm. uh through a couple podcasts not photography related at all Uh, a couple podcasts i listened to were promoting it as like hey you want some extra episodes uh some behind the scenes stuff about what our podcast is doing blah 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 uh back us on patreon we'd really appreciate it um i was like what is this thing and uh you know looked it up and opened a Patreon page for myself. And it's basically a feed that you can subscribe to. It's a feed of content. Every time I make a new post, I can choose whether it's an article, whether it's a photo, a video, a audio file. Um, and basically, yeah, if you're subscribed to my feed, you get access to anything that I post there. And so I started using that uh, back in 2016 to review equipment, like certain bags or whatever. And there's something to be said about that. I mean, there's so many reviews or tutorials on YouTube or whatever, but you know, what I realized with this, there's actual value in me as a person and in terms of like Sam's opinion. Uh, and there's value to to any photographer's opinion that you admire. You know, I have many photographers that I back on Patreon myself because like Fair, for example, I, I follow Fair, even though I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> um, just because I know I love his style and his way of looking at the world and so many things, whether it be editing tutorials that he shows or behind the scenes video or whatever, you just pick up little bits and bobs here and there that I can kind of take and start you know, sprinkling into my own work so that fair's influence comes through sometimes. And so anyway, that's basically what it's about. It's, it's an ongoing feed of educational content uh, for me. But what's cool about Patreon, I mean, YouTubers use it to get like early access to episodes, podcasts uh, use it to just um, you know, have ad-free episodes and there's all sorts of creative ways that it's being utilized. But um, yeah, anyway, so I was lucky enough to kind of pandemic-proof my business being that I had that established for a couple of years. Um, you know, it's it's grown and it's shrank and it's grown again and it's shrank in terms of subscribers, but uh, it's stayed fairly consistent. Uh, it's kind of weird to have a predictable source of money now. <laughs> you uh, have different tiers thing. on your... Yeah, I've got two, three tiers. Uh, there's there's sort of one main tier that almost mm-hmm. everything is underneath. And then I've got a more expensive tier uh, for like uh, eight hours of workshop 
video mm-hmm. content. So a lot of people will start with that more expensive tier, just binge all the workshop stuff, and then they'll dial back to one of the cheaper tiers for like kind of the ongoing posts of newer things that I'm that I'm doing. That's not like hours of content at a time. It's sometimes like a 10 minute deconstruction of a single photo and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of what it what it is in a nutshell. But um, it's great because it's you know sort of a community support thing it's nice that people uh, want to invest in learning but also invest in in me as a photographer or other photographers as well so i highly recommend just looking at it and even if you don't like my work or my approach to how i use patreon i guarantee there's somebody else on there doing it in a way that you would connect with if, if not me so yeah Oh, I like it. And I, I was on your Patreon for a while, uh, a while back. I was there for months and I really, really enjoyed it. For a second, I took a, a break because I was like getting overwhelmed with so much content, not from you, but like, I think I was patroning like 10 <laughs> different people. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. So I took a break for Patreon right now. But one of the things that I really, really enjoyed from your channel was like the deconstruction de- of images. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you see something epic on Instagram, then it's like, for me, especially my brain, like I'm very structural in my brain. I'm like, Mm -hmm. but how did we get there? So like your videos were like, oh, a step by step. And that's how I find out that you take like this extremely random place and turn it into like this super cool photo. So that's really inspiring. So like whoever is listening to this, definitely check it out. I think it's absolutely worth it. It's really not that expensive per month and you're getting a huge amount of content. The cool thing about it is you get access to everything. So if you want to just sign up for one month and then come back six months later, uh, it's not like the posts disappear. Um, they, you know, the back catalog is still accessible whenever you come back. So, um, yeah, I, I, structurally, like with that uh, mechanism, I think it's very um, value oriented <laughs> it's, yeah it's it is like extremely value oriented yes. for a course and that's it like yeah it's it's a really good deal so. it, it is and as i said it's, it's constantly like content coming at you so mm-hmm. i think i mean i think it's great for the for the price was absolutely worth every single penny and i don't remember how much it was but i remember that it was Relative. Yeah, I have a ten dollar tier, like ten dollar, and that's yeah. per month. So yeah. that was really like affordable. So definitely, totally. uh, I'm gonna put a link to the notes so people can check it out. Uh, 100% supported. Cool. Uh, super cool. So we have, I asked on my on my Facebook group that I, I mentioned that I was going to interview you and two people wanted to ask you two questions. So okay. are we okay with that? Great. Okay, yeah, let's totally. do this. So we kind of like talk about this already, but Karen asked, I love his work, meaning yours. Uh, it's inspiring. His images are very unique. Where does he get inspiration for photography? <laughs> uh, that, you know, a lot of it is trying to, truly be inspired by the personalities of the people I'm photographing, not so much focusing on anything else, just like really, really being sensitive to the chemistry. Generally, I'm photographing couples. So the chemistry between those two people and leaning into stuff that makes them giggle or makes them, you know, emotional at all. Uh, That's where it starts. Um, Secondary to that, I would say, uh, visually, I try and surround myself with a lot of um, photographs or art that uh, comes from uh, old records, honestly. Uh, my, My iPhone feed has, or my iPhone photo library has a specific you know, favorites or inspirational album that just has a bunch of old record stuff. And I'm not like uh, a super hipster vinyl listener type of guy at all. I don't, I don't like listening to records, but what happened back then, because it was such a big, oh, that's my dog. Oh, I got a doggy. <laughs> it's fine. Doggies are welcome here. Yes, guys here. So my dog's always, okay, popcorn, chill, bud. <laughs> Anyway, um, but what happened back then, you know, the, the vinyl records were so large, it was such a big canvas with usually multiple pages of inserts and stuff. They put a lot of money and thought into the artwork that would go um, along with it. And so you just see so many cool ideas. Uh, again, I probably 99% of the, the albums that I use for, you know, visual inspiration, I've literally never listened to. I just like the artwork. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people were on drugs back then. So there were some pretty crazy ideas. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and then just, you know, whatever in, in everyday life, uh, you know, people's natural poses. I have tons of crappy iPhone photos. That's just about the idea and the potential that I saw. Um, and, you know, keep those things that, uh, re- regularly um, kind of surface of mind. I go back before every shoot and just kind of look 
through that gallery real quick just to see if there's anything I've been meaning to try. And I don't, uh, you know, if I have an idea inspired by something else, I don't try and force it. Um, I kind of just remind myself that it exists and then see if that opportunity presents itself due to the lighting or the pose of my couple or whatever um, to kind of lean in that and use it as a starting point and then kind of iterate into its own thing from there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. sort of where it goes. Yeah. Karen, go get some uh, disc so you can get inspired. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Scott and he asked, how do you go about building your educational brand? Cool. The educational brand. I never <laughs> thought of it as a an educational brand. I, I probably is. I probably should you brand see, it. People as a, perceive you as a yeah, you know a brand. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> it's weird to think of my name is that my biggest regret. It's not even that big of a regret. But if I could start over my business, not just mm -hmm. educationally, but the wedding photography for clients, I think I probably wouldn't use my name. I think I would have used something that could have been more of an umbrella term. Mm, just okay. so uh, it wasn't. I mean, obviously. I would be the person that is teaching or shooting, but I still think it would have been better to, to have something, you know, like a name. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I don't have a name in mind, clearly. It's all just Sam Hurd. But the, the educational side of what I do came from... Uh, well, early on, just sharing, being very open with what uh, little discoveries I had made on my blog. So if I figured out something cool to shoot through that was giving me a consistent look, um, then that kind of became an idea. And then I would attach a name to it and then blog about it in a way that kind of showed, like, for example, the prism, like, here's the prism that I use, here are the end results, but it was just vague enough. I didn't break it down like the way people do now. Uh, it was step-by-step -step publicly for everyone. I just kind of blogged, here's the object and here are the photos I got from it. So with that came a lot of, oh, can you teach me how to do that. And then that turned into, you know, I've, I've got a community of people in Miami, a uh, photo group that I run. We'd love to have you down here for a workshop. And so I taught about 60 in-person workshops all over the U.S. and all over the world um, over about five years. And so, you know, small groups, 15 people, something like that. And that was fully formed and well along before I started Patreon. So I was able to take that, you know, boots on the ground, hard work of in-person workshops and sort of transport that into what I, you know, ultimately would become online education through Patreon. Uh, it's really, really, really tough to start from zero educational experience to just starting a Patreon. I've seen so many photographers try it and they'll get like two, two, two people and then give up. <laughs> um, even me, like my first few months, I maybe had like 10 or 15 people. It takes a lot of work kind of shouting into the void with nobody paying attention before you start to snowball. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> It's so tough. It's, it really takes a lot of work. But I, I think if you have the interest and the demand for people to, you know, it's going to be really tough now with coronavirus, but whenever in-person learning can return uh, safely, if you have the demand for people asking you to come teach them uh, in whatever city, locally or otherwise, do that. Do that first. Really make that the priority and then worry about sort of online stuff later because it's uh, really tough. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 if you think that you need to be resilient to be a photographer, you really need to be resilient to be an educator because as you said, those first months or maybe years are just a lot of, as you said, shouting into an empty space. Like I'm It is. <laughs> but you know, you have to also realize that even if you're not making money for a while from educational resources. You are learning something, hopefully, if you're self-aware, in the process. You're learning, you know, how better to set your lights up if it's videos that you're making. Uh, it's still a learning process. So even if you're not making money all the time or ever, uh, it can all kind of feed back into what you do as a photographer. Uh, a lot of my methods and things that I talked about today, I only became aware of through teaching because I had to sit down and, and explain it on a slide <laughs> over and over and over again. And if I didn't have that process, I wouldn't have been nearly as uh, self-aware and what, who I am as a photographer. So yeah, it's a really healthy thing to do, but again, very, very tough to, to do educational stuff and actually make a living from it. <laughs> I think that that's, again, that's another misconception that I think that now we see that is like, oh, I'm a photographer. It's going to be really easy to make money out of education. And although that happens for a lot of people, it's not as easy as it seems. 
not easy. And it's really tough to make it sustainable. Yes. <laughs> uh, so many people go the route of selling like a course or a workshop. Like, Here's my posing course. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's pretty cool. I mean, that can work, but it's, you know, you, you get a huge amount of sales in the beginning and then it tapers off like crazy after that. Uh, and so then you have to do it all over again. And it, it, for me, again, that's one thing I like about Patreon from the business side of things. It's, uh, you know, recurring sort of evolving thing. And I don't have to work super hard at launching a whole new course every six months. Launching is exhausting. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's it's a (laughs) lot of energy. Uh, I I currently do launches for my Pinterest class and it is really tiring, even though it's the same process over and over again, it it requires a lot of energy from you. So, so yes, but listen, go Scott, you know, we're not here to try to discourage you just to, you know, let you know yeah. that it'll take time. <laughs> no, absolutely. It takes time. Absolutely. The biggest thing is just uh, sticking with it, even when it doesn't seem to be picking up energy. Most people uh, fail because they just simply stop. <laughs> uh, you just got to keep keep at it. I mean, maybe once you're four years into getting no money, <laughs> uh, maybe it's time to give up <laughs> or wait for something to come along. You know, who knows? Uh, I think that if you're enjoying it, it's going to make it easier because even totally. if you're not making money, perhaps you're learning, perhaps it makes you happy. Uh, so I think that if the end result is just an extra income, that could be very tiring. If the end result is like, well, I'm learning things about myself and I like the community that I'm creating, even though I don't know where this is going to go, it could make it easier for you to approach it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is we live in such an exciting time. I love that within the span of a month, I was able to learn that Patreon existed and basically blink a new business into existence. Uh, somebody, you know, a company had built out this entire platform to do that. There will be other things that come along that you can leverage as a photographer to, to run your business. Uh, maybe something better than Patreon, you know, an idea that just you're not aware of that's going to exist in the world. So you just have to be uh, open and, and receptive to those when, when they come across. And I mean, I got so much hate too in the first few, uh, well, really the entire first year. No post, way! Oh my gosh. I would post a, you know, a review on a, about a bag or something. And like five people would be like, oh, why is this behind a paywall? Here are five YouTube reviewers with the exact same bag, you know, and people would heavily criticize. But, you know, if I want to charge for what work I put into a review and I'm going to do it and it worked, but I, you know, I, I screen cap any hate like that and just kind of keep it in a, you know, a folder for clam chowder later on to, uh, to just enjoy. Like I never like call them out or like bring back, like, see how much you hated me. Well, it worked. (laughs) I never do that, but it is satisfying to prove people wrong sometimes. And honestly, the more pushback you get from people in the beginning, the more likely you're on to something that, uh, might actually be a good idea. People don't like, um, you know, friction in the process, but that's where you make money when you, when you take advantage of, you know, some friction in, in, uh, you know, between point A and point B, uh, again, like a review and actually having to pay for it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we don't have to keep talking about Patreon, but I'm a big believer in it. And, and again, if you start getting pushback, uh, just stick with it. I can't tell you how critical that is. Uh, I mean, you know, if it's, if it's helpful feedback, like a critique on you know, your audio is really low or the framing, the editing is really awkward and jumpy, uh, take that into account for sure. But um, yeah, I had months and months of having to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Is it really awkward to, you know, introduce money into this uh, relationship uh, with other photographers? It, I it, think it, that we, we, I mean, as, as artists, we struggle with that. Like, we think that we need to give everything for free. And as you said, like, a lot of people in Patreon are charging you know, anything between five to $30. That's how I've seen. So it's not like a huge amount of money. And as you said, you can come in and leave whenever you want to. So uh, I, I, I'm always, uh, I always encourage people to like, if you feel that you want to do it, try it, but also understand that you can just quit when you hit the first, you know, roadblock. And that could be either negative reviews, or that could be nobody, you know, joining your thing. You need to do a lot of, as you said, a lot of footwork to start getting uh, people into your educational platform. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. (laughs) So, okay, let's start to wrap this up because you have given, I mean, giving us so much time and you have been so, so generous. So like, uh, this doesn't have to be photography related, but what are you currently loving? 
Oh, um, well, I'm writing music again. I honestly, before I was professionally into photography, I really wanted to do music production. I grew up playing violin and guitar and played in bands forever. And uh, so I've got a, a lot of close friends from college that are also musicians and none of them professional, but uh, earlier this year, we were like, hey, do you want to start like a weekly check-in and try and hold each other accountable to writing again, writing music? Um, so we each started our own like solo project. And now we're you know, seven months into it, something like that. And, you know, songs are getting released and we're actually putting stuff out into the world. So I'm putting out music again, which is really fun. And I have another, I put out two songs. The project is called um, Cope With Hope. And it's on Spotify and iTunes and all that. And uh, I do all the writing, recording, and mixing of everything. And uh, so I have two songs out. Uh, I've released one each month for the past two months. And I have another one coming out next week. So that's always really, really How fun. cool is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm sure the, uh, it's going to be very rare that people that follow me for photography also like my music. That would be very rare. <laughs> but it's kind of just indie rock. And uh, I love music. And it's it's been a fantastic outlet as a creative outlet without being photography. Uh, so I can still be creative and exercise those muscles uh, mentally without um, always having to do photos. And I think that's a healthy thing to keep in mind. A lot of photographers, um, you know, it's a hobby that they're passionate about. They turn it into a business and then there's a void there. Mm -hmm. Like it's really tough to shoot professionally and also do it as a hobby and not feel like, you know, it's work. And I, yeah, I don't know if I articulated that well, but I'm grateful to have had music as something that I never had pressure to make money from or use in my business in any way whatsoever. <laughs> and it's nice to have that. I think. How cool is that? Maintain a hobby. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. Well, I will add the links to those songs to this episode, oh, so people can you. check you out, <laughs> get get some new fans to for your photography, for your <laughs> music cool. industry. No pressure, no, no expectations. <laughs> exactly. So, where could people find you, Sam? Uh, most stuff starts and trickles down all from my Instagram. Uh, so my Instagram is I am the Sam. Uh, I am Sam is always taken. So I had to add <laughs> the, I am the Sam. And then, uh, that's sort of, I promote, uh, or post most regularly there. And then of course, in my stories there, uh, and then my website, just Sam heard photography. Uh, dot com and that's heard spelled h-u-r-d it's my last name so <laughs> and your patreon will be oh patreon yeah i always forget that patreon.com slash sam heard so pretty easy. awesome so once again i will add all these links to uh, to the notes of this episode uh sam thank you so much for your generosity for how cool you are for all the things that you do for the industry uh, it was really a pleasure speaking to you you're super cool and i hope we can do it again soon yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much. You were really sweet to have me. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Until next time, uh, thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you, all of you, very soon. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more info about marketing tips for photographers and show notes, please visit thetogrepublic.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Want even more? Join our marketing community group. Just search for the Tog Republic group on Facebook. Until next week.